to the Wealth and Purpose podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to creating wealth in a way that feels really good and live their purpose fully in the process. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive business coach. I'm also a wife, a mom to two preteens, a professor, Girl Scout leader, and well, hey, you get it. Like you, I wear a lot of hats. Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hey, everyone. I am super excited to have Dr. Sam Klein back with us. She did a podcast with us back earlier in the year. She is really one of my favorite thought leaders out there today. I think she says so many things in a way that it leaves a lot of space for people to hear what she has to say, even though a lot of the topics she talks about are very controversial. Sam is actually in her own process of transformation. So rather than attribute a bio that I had from last year to her, I'm going to let her introduce herself to you. Welcome, Sam. Hi, Patty. Thank you. Yes, I'm Dr. Sam Klein. I'm a writer, speaker about issues of race and also spiritual aspects of our inner lives and humanity. And yes, I definitely am in a journey. I think it's a continued journey in terms of my spiritual life. Um, Recently, um, just identify myself as no longer being a Christian so yeah, it's a great journey. I mean, my work takes up the messiness, the complexity of aspects of our lives. So I'm glad to be here. Okay. <laughs> there, well, there you go. Short and sweet. Sam did not do herself justice. So I will tell you, you do need to seek her out and learn more about her back journey, the journey that took her to the place that she's in, because it's really, truly an incredible one. And she blogs on Pathio. She's now on a new channel that is as a result of her shift out of the category of progressive Christianity. We're not going to talk about that today, actually, because it just happened today. And I told Sam I'll have her back on so we can talk more about that particular shift. But there's been something going on that I really want to to hear Sam's thoughts on. I want to have a conversation with her about, and by the way, you can find her at Race and Grace's, her blog, raceandgrace.com. And, oh, yes, Patty. I was um, thinking I'll share that like at the end. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just want to go really quickly yes. and make sure they can find all your That's awesomeness. True, right, because, you know, I, we, we never know how these will go with me and like we'll get to talking. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, find me at raceandgrace.com. So yeah, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> raceandgrace.com <laughs> to find out more about speaking, my writing, all that jazz. Yes. Yeah. All that jazz. And we'll do that again at the end. So um, don't leave yet. Don't go there yet. Um, So there was a very intriguing Facebook post up from, you know, another woman that I follow who is also a thought leader in the space of race. And it was about Brene Brown's recent Netflix special. And I think it's really about her overall teaching about vulnerability. And the feedback was that, uh, you know, the teachings about vulnerability are great and all, as long as we understand that vulnerability isn't an equal opportunity sport. 
So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, about what it means to be vulnerable. And, you know, really, there's lots of spaces, but, you know, the special really, I think, spoke much to the corporate space. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, Sam. I have a lot of thoughts about about the aspect of vulnerability space and different people's roles that we occupy in those spaces with it. Well, for one, I look at the historical aspect of who gets to be vulnerable in a broader context. Let's just take, for example, within the United States, historically, who, who, who had the privilege or who was able, who was afforded the space to be vulnerable? And I think before we can look at vulnerability now, I think it's important to look at that connection. A lot of times, and I think this is part of our norms in the United States, it's it's one of the norms that dominates our thinking is to have a disconnection to history, only sometimes when it serves us well or serves a particular narrative. So historically, when we look at I look at slavery and a lot of times people roll their eyes like, oh, it's slavery. Well, that's what built our, <laughs> built so much of our nation. What we looked at, how indigenous people, um, Native American people, how they were treated and uh, the genocide of, of, of so many people uh, for the sake of building this country and then enslavement of African people to build this country, we need to look back at these different spaces and say, who gets to be vulnerable and at and what cost was it? So when we look at during slavery, I am, I mean, you can look at how white women were part of this patriarchal society and how sometimes we can, we can see how there was an oppression there. Yet at the same time, vulnerability for black women in that space, that was... I mean, that wasn't something that was even cherished, welcome. I mean, being vulnerable will cost you your life in so many ways. So the notion of vulnerability, and this is something that we're hearing more about and embracing more, something that may have been looked down upon or something attributed to women, but it's like, what women? So we look at the birth of the the suffragist movement, who, who was allowed that space to, to share from the experience of being a woman and what does it mean to be a woman in an oppressive society. And we saw how that was white women occupying that space that did not translate over to, in, to the indigenous women or black women. So it's not strange today to see in these contexts when we have these different movements and we have women who are speaking about these things that you'll see is a white woman speaking about it, but her experiences is mapped on to all women's experiences. And that's not the case. And there are these common threads, but, it, but when, we, when we decontextualize it, we, we ignore that race is something that is extremely, <laughs> that's extremely embedded in our social context. And so when we talk about vulnerability, we, we need to look at that racial component of it. So a white woman who, who, who in a white supremacist society, when I say white supremacist society, I'm not saying everybody's walking around wearing, you know, their heads shaven and they're part of an official organization. I'm saying a society 
that is centered, that's dominated about keeping a racial hierarchy in place, whereas white is at the top. And then you have the rest of the racial groups that, that, that trickle down that, that spectrum of who has power, who, who has more influence, who's afforded more opportunities. So although we have right now in our society, we have white women who have benefited most from affirmative action. And so they're occupying these spaces and, and breaking the glass ceiling, but it's not translating to a lot of different women of color. Now, you see some distinctions with Asian women. However, we're now seeing a trend where they're dealing with the glass ceiling, what they call a bamboo ceiling. So they may make more progress than certain women groups, but then they hit a limit. So this mapping of one experience on other women, it, it, it shows how white women have benefited from white supremacy. So they may deal with the, some of the gendered aspects of what it means to be an oppressive society or sexist society, but they still by and large benefit from white supremacy. And so you'll see that there are afforded different protections in the society. So for example, the Me Too movement, which I think is a big experience where we talk about vulnerability. What does it mean to come forward and tell your stories? And a long time ago, I wrote about when it first, like when it first became, began to take on this Hollywood form, I, you know, and we didn't know about Tarana Burke. And so I like mentioned that and some people say, oh gosh, I didn't know about this. And I ask about how, like, is this movement being whitewashed already? Like, is it being whitewashed? And by that, it's like, it's being co-opted. And so something that started as a movement for women, like girls of color in a white supremacist society, if they come forward, their stories aren't heard. It's not going to make the news. It's not something that people are going to rally around and cry for or advocate for them. So she had this movement. And then now when white women begin to take it up and then Hollywood white women begin to take it up. Now it's a big movement. We want to celebrate. We want to we want to align ourselves with the vulnerability of women. But it but that was, again, after white women begin to have that space. So I want to I'm going to play the devil's advocate on this because I would I would. And I, first of all, your piece about that back then was one of my favorite pieces ever. And and I shared it all around the world, (laughs) everywhere I could. But I don't think it was, I mean, if it wasn't Alyssa Milano, right? If it wasn't someone with a Hollywood name, Mm -hmm. do you honestly think, I mean, I'm completely, I understand the whitewashing of it because I do believe that happened. But if Hollywood had not gotten involved do you do you think it would have actually picked up steam? And then do you think that a woman of color, a black woman who had as much power or more than Alyssa Milano from a visibility standpoint could have done the same thing? I think those are great questions. Well, first and foremost, I mean, if you have a Hollywood influence, I think it depends on who you are. For example, Gabrielle Union even talked about that. I mean, she's talked about before this became a big thing. I was just familiar with her even sharing about uh, her experiences with um, sexual violence. So I think there's something to be said about even with black women or women of color and their influence in, in Hollywood and what that can do, because it's not something new for 
a, a Hollywood actor or actress to be involved with a cause or to have a cause. And so even black women, women of color, actors and actresses and Hollywood are marginalized and they may be known within certain communities. I think there is still some limits because again, each industry we've mentioned today, Brown and corporate America, different industries and institutions are still dealing with what do we with with racism and all the different ways that are subtle and not so subtle and how that's embedded. There is some in terms of like, would it ever, I mean, have picked up speed with, depending on the celebrity in that reach, if it was a woman of color, like certain actors and actors of color are going to have more reach and influence than another. So I do think there is something to be said about, you know, I'm not, you know, looking into the crystal ball and determining how could that have happened with any celebrity of influence, you know, but I, I think it's, it's difficult to just say without a shadow of a doubt that say someone with Oprah who has like a very big, you know, reach, even though she's not an actor, I mean, she's actress, but she operates in so many spaces. She's a mogul. Would that have a different kind of impact versus a Melissa Milano? So I do think there's some nuances to that. But at the same time, I want to also, we need to deal with that. Each actor and actress by virtue of race and in Hollywood, that's going to still have, um, that's still going to impact things because they're still subjected to some of those different dynamics. I mean, there's a reason why they had the Oscar So White campaign. Now, one thing that I think that's been useful is that even with Melissa Milano bringing up, bringing, bringing up, you know, Me Too and making that come forward, it's interesting to see that it's still, and I think people are in some ways are trying to be intentional, but it's interesting to see how it, it, it sometimes once a white person or a white woman brings up these issues and it becomes about them when they share their story, then more people may be apt to gravitate to that. And I think, and I don't even think it's just a white woman thing when people gravitate to that, because I see the same phenomenon, Patty, with people of color. And I think it's part, so this racial conditioning, this racist way of thinking in the world, isn't just something that we'll see with white women we'll see the same thing with people of color. So even if it was, you know, Gabrielle Union, again, because she shared her story before in the past, but that's why she critiqued these things. You know, we share, it's nothing, you know, Black women have shared their experiences of dealing with harassment and dealing with different things. We talk about racism and all the stuff that we've dealt with, and it's not as treated as heavily or, or with such concern as when a white woman do that. We'll see even people of color who will treat the stories of white women more important than the stories of women of color. Or we will listen and give more attention to it once a white person begins to bring more attention to that. So I think when we talk about this notion of vulnerability and who gets to do that, I think is that work looks differently for people. For one, for white people or white women is to recognize how, how race has compelled us 
or in some ways it conditions us to have more empathy for more groups versus others. And most people will just push back against that and say, no, I, of course I care about everybody. I care about what happens to, you know, all people or anybody. I'm like, I'm a good person. I don't think about those things. I'm colorblind. Like, of course not. The reality shows differently. The reality shows we're more inclined to when we see the hurting and suffering of a white woman, that makes for more news. That makes for bigger news. We're more inclined to listen and tune our attention to it than if it is a dark person or especially a dark black person or dark Afro-Latina person. We're not going to have as much of an emotional pull to that. And you see the same with people of color. If we've internalized that way of thinking that we're not as important, we don't matter as much we will find ourselves doing the same thing. So we'll see if a white person's vulnerable in a social media space and say, oh, I've been harassed. And I say this a lot as a writer online because I get all kinds of crazy stuff I write about race. But I do see from time to time, you'll have a white woman who'll share about um, an experience being harassed online. It becomes a whole big thing. And you'll see white people, you'll see people of color, women of color, who are aligning with this person and they're, you know, this person's being vulnerable and they're making a stand and they're with them. You don't see that same kind of reaction with women of color, specifically black women on in these online spaces. So we are in a, we already occupying a vulnerable space because we're targeted sometimes a lot more in different spaces, especially if you're writing about issues of race, but we don't have like, white, a whole crowd of white women and all these people who are ready to empathize and come alongside us and, and, and support that. So that's, I think it's part of just the conditioning that we've had that if you don't realize it, you will think that we are perhaps equal opportunity types of people when it comes to our emotional, our empathy for different people. The reality is that that's not happening the same. So in a corporate environment, if you are a white woman, it's a predominantly white space, there's going to be a little more of a sense of protection, uh, for lack of a better word at the moment, and more of a support for you by virtue of having white skin, or not white skin, a white race, than if you are a black woman or, or, you know, range of people of color in those spaces when it comes to being vulnerable. So that makes total sense. I mean, I, I think that's, that is completely true because I, as a white woman in a corporate bank space, I mean, it was very, and it was a, a long time ago, 15 years ago, and it was male dominated for sure, banking. But being blonde and looking like what they thought I should mm. look like, I know I've had it easier even than someone that wasn't blonde yes. hair, blue eyed. And that wasn't even, we weren't even off the white spectrum yet, <laughs> yes. you know? So, like I know that that exists. I've experienced the benefit of it. So I'm not challenging that piece of it. But the thing that I that I do challenge or maybe that I struggle mm-hmm. with is I do think that we need to, you know, as white people, I think when we hear someone like Brene tell this, this speak this yes, truth, yes. right? Her truth. 
her study and it resonates with us so much. And we like, you know, liven up to it and, and feel like, oh, there's an answer in here. Having the filter to understand it's an answer for us as white mm-hmm. people. How do we make this an answer for all people is maybe the question. Mm-hmm. But what I want to make, I guess for me, hearing her teach and knowing she holds something that's super important for everyone is, you know, how does that, how do we, those of us who have a level of privilege, make it a space where other people can enjoy that privilege? And the reason I say that is I look at you, Sam, and what made me like fall in love with your words and your thoughts is your vulnerability. And were you not willing to walk out to the very edge of every thought you have and stand out there with so much courage, I wouldn't have followed you. And so the vulnerability is what made what you say so powerful and I do think that that applies to everyone, yeah, right? Like if yeah. you don't get vulnerable, yeah. if you're not if you're not willing to risk the fall, yeah. no matter what who you are, and maybe even especially if you're a, a population that has less less protections, yeah. like it is that vulnerability that gets you those protections, mm-hmm. right? Oh, this is. This is such a good conversation. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm like, do we have time for this conversation? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a good question. So I love Brene Brown's work. I mean, when it first came out, like, and I know different women of color who, who love her work and benefit from it. Like she was speaking my language about vulnerability. So it was timely. And one thing I've found that speaks to what you were saying about this applicability and I've found in my experience as, as a Black woman from that particular lens of my experience and navigating this world of personal development or even my spiritual development is that, I mean, a lot of things that I may see that's written by white people, they may not understand that, that, they, are, that they are raced and that that still impacts their writing. I understand Mm -hmm. that. Now, I can't say that for other people of color because some people, they've really bought into this like universal, they see white and they just assume universal applicability. And I've been pushing back more about that even more in my writing lately. But I don't assume this universal applicability just because you're white. However, you're a white person who writes something, you can still have something that is still universal, uh, that has this universal applicability, but it's not just because you're a white person. You still have your race that may come through your racial experience, your gendered experiences, your sexual orientation experience. All those may shape your writing in some way because we we are social beings and that comes through. Some of us are intentional with monitoring our biases and, and how that shows up or our subjectivities. So I've I've recognized that as I read different texts that you know, the author's writing from a whole set of different experiences. And some of those may not work, map onto my experience. And sometimes I see like, okay, that's coming through from a different experience this person's had. It doesn't map onto my experiences. 
So I'm able to pull things that are useful. So I think her work is useful. I think what becomes problematic, and this goes to what you were saying, is sometimes when we just assume that this that 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 the, that the work is not coming from a person, a human that has a that has a cultural a whole cultural existence. And a lot of times white people, and that's the question or the issue I think that's helpful as we talk about Brene Brown's work, is taken up as if she's not this social cultural being. And it is. She Mm. is. We all are. So her work is very useful. It's like, how are we, and this is what you are saying, what I'm hearing you're saying, how do we handle that. I think we just got to be much more aware of that instead of the old pattern of this is for all women or this is for all people. And it's coming from this white person because I, I write things as a black person, a black woman, a black, you know, heterosexual woman. I mean, and there's things that are applicable for people who aren't. I'm very clear <laughs> that, I mean, that is like that. I mean, as a black woman, but a lot of times I don't have to be because that's how race works. A lot of times by virtue of me being a black woman is already seen as raced and white people aren't often seen as raced. So when a black person does, does something, a lot of times it's already racialized, although white people are raced. So I think mm. what you're saying is, hey, let's just make it clear that she has a race too. And we're in a society that's still heavily embedded with race. So we, we need to understand then how does, how is that showing up in the work? I think what you're saying invites us to make that much more visible, whereas it's been invisible and it's no judgment on her work or that is useful, but by making it more visible, it helps us to better apply it. Yeah. You, I guess, yeah. And as you're saying, I think what it's what I'm coming to is that, and this is coming from me, the the person who just feels mm-hmm. driven by helping others achieve, like individuals achieve what they most want yes. to achieve. Yes. You know, like that is what drives me. Is like for a human being to be in front of me, tell me what they want yes. to create, and for me to partner with them to help them right. do that. Right. So. That's my worldview, yes. right? So this is just coming from my self-centered perspective. But I guess like, you know, when I hear these conversations of, you know, because the other thing, I don't think we have time to get into it. We'll have to do this one on another podcast is like law of attraction oh, is in an equal opportunity <laughs> sport, right? And I guess as you're saying this, what I'm realizing is, okay, yes, vulnerability, getting vulnerable is harder for a black woman. It is harder for a woman of or color. Or it can be. Same I would say that because I know like there are some certain black women will say that's not the case for me. So I want to, so I just want to make sure. I think, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. And, right. And once again, yeah. I'm speaking, anyone who's listening, I'm speaking from my yes. limited white perspective, right? So but I can make space for yes. that, that that is, it, it could be a lot harder. I'll say it that way. It could be a lot harder, but the fact that it does hold an answer, yes. even if it's imbalanced for you, I want, I, it, it's a, in my heart. I just don't want to see that get lost because with the law of attraction stuff, because I'm big on teaching it, but teaching the brain science of understanding is you can 
you can manifest. I'm going to be, this is an explicit. If you've got kids in, please remove them. If you can, you can manifest the fuck out of something. But the reality is you can do everything as, you know, like you can visualize to your third eye bleeds. And, and I borrowed that from Andy Dooley and it's still not going to show up if it's not for your highest good. So that's one. But the other thing is if your brain, no matter how much you visualize and do all the other spiritual shit, if your brain is blocking it because it does not believe it can come, it's not going to come. And so as someone who's been part of a, a, you know, a population that has been held down and has literally in the DNA has been told you are not as important or you don't deserve as much for whatever reason, that's going to affect your manifesting abilities. And until that gets unwound, it will be harder for you to manifest. But the reality is the law of attraction still works. Oh, gosh. There's just so much with, like, you had two components here. With, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. You can't do this. You said you weren't going to bring up right. law of attraction yet. And, like, that is a whole, <laughs> like a whole a thing. But and then the first part where you're mentioning vulnerability I think I, I, I think I, I really, I think I get your heart with what you're saying about that not getting lost in all of this, because I, I, vulnerability is important for me. I think in my life I've contended with it's these narrow these narrow ways that sometimes we construct womanhood and how that works. Like you notice when you're when you were in your previous career. Like, yes, that, that, that racial spectrum is real. And then there's these subcategories, right? Like it's not even just all white women, certain white women. And you and I talked about this. Like it's, sometimes it's not all black women, it's certain black women. If you look a certain way, well, if you're a lighter black woman, you may be able to get more, more space to be vulnerable versus the darker black woman where you may not em- empathize with her pain as much. So there is this spectrum that's, that's very racialized and there's all these nuances to it. Yet I, I, I agree with you. Like I want, and it's my desire for space for us to be human and to, to be fully human in different spaces. And by facing some of these things, these artificial constructs that we've taken on and that you begin to mention with law of attraction, by beginning to face these things, it helps us to better figure out, okay, now how do we want to co-construct this space together now that we see this is what we've been socialized into? But as long as we're ignoring all the ways we've been socialized into, it doesn't allow us to have the kind of conversation to make very visible, oh my gosh, this is the racial readings or these are the gendered readings that's showing up. And that will get in the way of allowing a space where we can be vulnerable together. Part of my experience, like in terms of my race gendered experience of being socialized has been uh, being a strong black woman. That was a very big, that's a very strong narrative that I still, that's still present, very present in our society. And the strong black woman narrative was made it very challenging to be vulnerable. Vulnerability was seen as a weakness. A lot of times, again, if you look back again through 
history, black women, we had to be strong. You had no choice but to be strong. Our bodies were used as property. So in a sense, we reclaim that something that was used to separate us as not being women, of not being human. We reclaim that and we've used that as a way of empowering ourselves. But even with that empowering message, it, it's, it, it can be very restricting and keeps us from being vulnerable because being vulnerable is seen as being weak. And so mm. that has been, and gosh, we don't have the time, but so that's a, no, because Sam, people are getting off their treadmills as we speak. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to wrap and remind them where to yes. find you. So, so vulnerability is, I think is a very important conversation. I think it's helpful for us to, to make it visible about all these different identities that we have and how that impacts how we create a space, no matter if it's on your job, your community, with your friends, uh, in these different relational spaces that we operate by bringing these identities to the fore and doing that without judgment, asking the tough questions. I think like Patty and I were having like tough questions and playing the devil's advocate. And by doing that and doing that in a way where we hold space with love, we're able to actually create, I believe you can create these spaces where, where it doesn't matter about your, your race in that point, that we're going to empathize with you just as heavy and just as much as a person as before, it would have been based on their race and their skin color and gender and all those things. So you can find me again at raceandgrace.com. Um, you can find out about um, for speaking and my writing. I'm working on a book. So that's a journey right there. But shoot me an email. Also, I'm happy to connect with you. If anything that sparked your interest or questions you have from this podcast, I'm open to um, dialogue about it. And thank you. Oh, and thank you, awesome. Patty. You- thank you for having me. Thanks for this, this conversation. I mean, this, I mean, I feel like we just scratched the surface with this conversation. There's so much I that we could not just take up in our limited time. Um, but thank you so much. I enjoy these conversations with you. And I, I appreciate you asking tough questions and being willing to ask questions that play devil's advocate because we learn together that way. It pushes my thinking, challenge my thinking. So, and it helps me to grow. So thank you for having me and thank you for the questions. Oh, thank you for being here, Sam. You know, I love learning from you. You're just, I truly believe you are, you are one of my favorite thought leaders out there. And and I know someday people are going to come back and they're going to be like, oh, there's the first Sam Klein podcast that Patty had her. That's right. You're going to be super famous someday. Not just sort of famous right now or insta famous right now. You really do, Sam. You hold, I, I bo- truly believe you hold a key to, to a knowledge that is very rare on our planet right now. And I, I deeply respect it. And and I encourage all of you, follow Sam, reach out to her if something sparked your your heart in this conversation. And, you know, the Sam, the, it was funny as you wrapped up, the question I had wanted to ask you was, you know, what's your advice? And I think what you said at the end is it is, you know, make space for that conversation and to be able for the other person to be safe in that conversation with you and you as well. Would you say that that's it? Or did I just like butcher the whole no, you didn't point? Butcher. Of- I think, um, I think, I, I think that's, um, well said. And I, in one point, and I think it's telling just in this conversation and 
and what we were talking about, your podcast itself. I listen to your podcast. You, I mean, I I don't send you notes all the time. I'm like, I, but I love listening to your podcast. You're a white woman who does this work, and I find there's so much that's useful. That's that's I find to be useful for so many people. And I tell my husband, like, you need to listen to the Patty's podcast. So. I think I just found I just had a moment where I'm like, this is what we were talking about. When we think about Brene Brown's work. And if you're, you know, like you're a race being, I mean, you are a gender being, you have a sexual orientation, you have a spiritual belief, you're a human being. And but you're but you work to be intentional about how you are showing up in this world. And I think it comes through. It's like a breath of fresh air when I listen to your work. So I, I'm glad that you're. I think this conversation, I think the podcast itself, this has been very useful because some things aren't going to be wrapped up in 30 minutes in a neat bow, but we need to wrestle with these things, tease these things, question and puzzle. And sometimes after 30 minutes, you're still sitting with it and you're going to talk about it later. So I think this podcast itself is symbolic of what we're talking about. <laughs> so thank yeah. you. So yeah. that, that itself is yeah. the takeaway also. <laughs> like it's ongoing and I think there's also models a way like it doesn't it we're not going I think we both were wrestling with words with it but have grace with each other as you're wrestling with how to say things and talk through things and you were able to be vulnerable and I'm able to be vulnerable and we can co like move to how to co-create those spaces so good thank you Sam thank you so much for being here you're welcome thank you Okay. Bye everyone. Make sure you check out Sam's stuff. She is brilliant. All right. Thank you everyone. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wealth and Purpose podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found us. It fills my heart when I read a review and helps us reach many more people. So thank you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.